Yeah. And it's, you have like a gamer chair. Yeah. <laughs> you have a total gamer You're chair. Serious. Yeah. Right they on. don't know. That's a Herman Miller, isn't it? <laughs> it's not actually. No, it looks like a Herman Miller chair. Does it? That's good. That's good. I'll look the part anyway. I get pretty intense during meetings, so I feel like I need a chair that's, uh, that feels That has intense. the back? Yeah. <laughs> right on. And have chair races from time to time in the office. That's what it's really for. Is your mic working? I hope so. Oh, okay. Oh, there we are. I just hey, didn't Nicole. hear you before. Do you have power? I don't have power. Oh, oh no. Jeez. Wow. Oh. So you might just all of a sudden disappear? Um, I'm hoping not. I got a charge. Um, I was driving around Salt Lake City today with my iPad plugged into the car. <laughs> wow. I, uh, we've also learned to just mark everything as explicit. So if you feel like <laughs> yeah. um, this is a construction progress pro uh, podcast, you need to swear. Let it fly. Yeah. It's not affecting yeah, our told ratings. told us not to. <laughs> well, okay. It's so we better did that before. And then did, if y'all listened to Lauren Williams last time. Yeah. In the in the, I was like, Concrete ah, life. shit, we can't get out of that. One. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? yeah, so really, that's it. Um, you know, hour ish, but you know, if the conversation's rolling, it's rolling. We really appreciate you guys. This, yes, you know, you I don't know if you read yes, the post, thank you so much. but um, this wasn't like a oh hey here's a token women in construction. This was like a, we have a really cool platform that we all appreciate all of you guys. So. We were like, cool, let's do something no one else can do and just like turn it over and have fun. So geek out on whatever, you know, talk amongst yourselves. Stay to Rebecca's and, talking points though. But stay to Rebecca. <laughs> I can't. I can't. From the, the outline. <laughs> you, should all go, you should all go rogue. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I like, I, I am totally spoiled. I wish I had all the cool like drawing apps that our kids now have. Cause like procreate is crazy. Awesome. If oh, you yeah. have an iPad, that's I've so been fun. Going to nuts on procreate too, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It is very, Does it very do cool. stick figures. Cause that's about the length of my ability. Yeah. Well, it'll yeah, make that's your why stick I got into construction technology because <laughs> I can't draw on my own. Right. <laughs> but it'll make your stick figures really cool. Yeah. <laughs> You can like apply effects to them. Yeah, right. Oh yeah. You can animate them. Yeah, I got in so I could be, call myself like a modeler, so I could say I professionally model. Right. And, sure. and no one ever buys that. <laughs> but why? But why male models? <laughs> that Marsh, he's hot, right? He's so hot yes, right now. He's so hot <laughs> in this episode, we hand over the podcast to the construction dorkettes. They showed us all why they are powerhouses of construction technology. Tune in as they discuss mentorship, advocacy, technology adoption, COVID, and the future of construction as a critical trade. All right, and we are live. All right, everybody. Well, thank you as I, you all roll in here. I'm going to welcome everybody and, you know, get this thing started as soon as we can. So uh, thanks for joining us for the Construction Dorkcast, Episode 9, The Dorkettes. Um, without further ado, um, the dorks going to introduce themselves and then turn this over to some of our favorite people in the industry. Travis, why don't you go first? All right. So, yep. Um, 
you know me, I'm Travis this week. Um, I went into my local liquor store and I like to sample new things. And, and this just spoke to me. If I can get it to show up and carry it. Murka. I asked the, uh, the guy there and he said, it's decent. And he's right. It turned out to be decent. So I've made it into <laughs> a, uh, uh, and a highball. It's a pretty good uh, whiskey. And it was only about 34 bucks, which is not bad. And I'm done. Enjoy. Jonathan? Well, I, I will go next. I'm Jonathan Marsh, and you guys all know me. And um, we had a whiskey tasting with um, Kevin Suhu uh, from Dato. And so, like, um, he, he got me back into Japanese whiskeys. So I'm, I'm doing a Centauri uh, Habiki Harmony, which is really, really awesome Japanese whiskey. Um, and my wife watched me take it out of the cabinet. It was like, you're only having a little bit, right? Just a little bit, because it's easily her favorite whiskey. Um, but it's, it's really good. And the Japanese always are. All right. I will see you guys after the show. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. That was a great tasting this week. It Thanks was. to Kevin Suhu at Dato. That was a lot of fun after MEP Force. Trent. Yeah. Hey, Trent here. So I'm, I'm going to be another Jeff this week. I've actually got a pretty heavy workload tonight. So I'm going with the Bundaberg root beer here. We can, uh, it's an Australian made root beer going to do the non-alcoholic one tonight. So got a long night ahead of me, but I'm going to duck out and let these ladies do their thing. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, not to be left out today. I actually have a Moscow mule, but it's a fake mule. You can't really see it. Oh, I picked a bad can here, but uh, it's a Moscow mule unsweetened and my usual, you know, post-ride drink. Um, but that's it. I'm going to duck out and you are all in for an extreme treat for the day. I'm excited to sit back and listen to these incredible minds. So you all take it away. Remember to ask your questions. It's live. We're in the background. We'll make sure everything goes well and we'll see you after the show. Krista, take it away. Me? Okay, I'll go first. Um, so we thought that we would just start out by introducing ourselves, talk a little bit about how we got into the industry. Um, so for me, my name is Krista Stevens. I work for Construct Edge. We are a technology services company. Um, I am kind of the marketing guru specialist, business development -y person over here. Um, so I've been in the industry for about 10 years, I think, uh, started as a project coordinator on a large scale, um, entertainment project, and then moved into transmission, power transmission and worked as kind of an assistant project manager on that role. So I've seen kind of the back end project management side of construction and then, uh, moved over to CCR, which then spun out the Construct Edge brand earlier this year. And I've been deep in the construction technology space ever since. So that's been about four years for me now. And running the gamut with these dorks and <laughs> hanging out with them at trade shows has been kind of the highlight of my last four years. So I'm really excited to be here. What are you drinking? Oh, yes, we can't forget that. So um, I have to go pick up my daughter from dance later. So I went with the coffee and true in my basic white girl nature, it is a pumpkin spice from Starbucks because it's fall. <laughs> Kelly, you go. All right. Well, my name is Kelly Lubelai. I work for Cupertino Electric as the BIM program manager. 
and my current role has me taking what everybody else sort of dreams up as making possible and taking that and turning it into a reality and hopefully interjecting a few of my bright ideas along the way when I have them. I got started originally um, about 12 years ago now as a modeler and drafter back at an architecture firm after taking a CAD class at a local community college. And I just happened to learn Revit a little ahead of the curve and moved into BIM management from that and have since made my way around the different types of design firms and also uh, worked with both general contractors and now I'm in the subcontracting side working on uh, electrical and specializing in data centers. And I am drinking a single malt scotch from uh, the Highland area of Ireland. All right, I'll go next. My name is Tannis Lavinyak. I'm the CEO of Trillium Advisory Group. I got my start in the industry uh, fairly young. I uh, started out uh, actually working in, uh, in the yard in, in our family business. Uh, so as a teenager, when my friends were out having fun, I was uh, helping mob and demob cranes. <laughs> so I, I found my love for, for construction at a young age. Um, I got into material management, uh, did some work on site as a, as a rigger and a mechanics uh, helper and uh, worked, worked through a couple of trades, not quite sure what I wanted to do. I was uh, uh, pursuing an undergraduate degree at the same time. So I was spending my holiday breaks and my summers working out on site. Very quickly realized that construction is where I wanted to be. And I, I moved into a planning role back in 2007, and uh, so quite a while ago, fell in love with making order out of chaos. And uh, that's, uh, that's really where I found my, uh, my passion for the industry. So I, uh, I worked through a, a few different planning roles, moved into planning coordination, planning management, uh, did a couple roles in uh, project leadership and uh, in a corporate team, and uh, moved and uh, worked with a, a construction uh, technology group in a, in a technology company and uh, spent a few years there traveling around the world working with teams deploying new technology deploying new processes and uh, really working with uh, with teams to help them understand why why tech why now what's in it for them and uh, that, that was great and uh, from there I, I became an entrepreneur and now I I work with uh, teams all over the world uh, doing something actually very similar in a construction services organization, we work with uh, technology and, and uh, data and really helping teams you know, combine the two and, and uh, work more effectively and build better projects. That's how I got my, uh, my start in the industry. Uh, it's my drink of choice is coffee. I'm out on the West Coast. It's only three o'clock here, so not quite five yet. I'm, uh, I'm holding off on the gin and tonic until then. Okay, I'll go. Um, my name's Rebecca Sharp. Um, I'm an operations technology manager with Balfour BD. Um, had a little bit of a different start. I actually got my master's degree in architecture. So um, started out in the AEC industry as a whole, um, working for an architecture firm, designing single family uh, vacation homes in the Caribbean and moved down to the Caribbean, uh, moved to Utila Honduras to oversee the the build of those homes and kind of start to make my way to the construction side of the industry and came back and started um, working with a general contractor here in Denver um, doing like million square foot high-rise construction so 
done a little bit of everything from single family residential to high rise construction. Um, and then about two years ago, transitioned over to a construction technology role, um, primarily focused on Procore, but um, kind of all things construction technology with testing, configuring, implementing, training, um, kind of rolling out uh, construction technology on a, on a national scale for what I used to be with Holland Construction and now Balfour Beattie. Um, and I uh, am staying on the whiskey train with the rest of you guys. I have a Breckenridge bourbon, uh, neat, that I am sipping on today. I have to interject. Breckenridge is one of my favorite bourbons. That's that's a great one. So. Oh, um, the owner lives next door to me. So. Well, thank them. Thank them very <laughs> much. <for me. laughs> Cool. So I'll go next. My name is Nitha. I work for Autodesk Construction Solutions. I'm a tracking solutions executive here. So that basically just a fancy term for meaning that I work with customers on their workflows, kind of um, finding efficiencies within those workflows. And just like Rebecca, I actually got my start out in architecture as well. I thought I'd become an architect when I was 10 years old, but ended up doing master planning and construction administration straight out of um, college, where I really worked with a lot of construction people and realized that like the planning aspect is what I really liked um, and that's really when I went over and switched over to construction during like a really lucky time so they were just starting out this design management role and it wasn't really defined yet so I got to explore a lot of different things and really do anything and everything that I wanted to do and a lot of that was technology and I really found a love and passion for that so ended up over at PlanGrid and then um, uh, on to Autodesk now. And what are you drinking? Um, I'm also on the West Coast. I'm also just drinking coffee. <laughs> well, I'm going to feel like I'm an early starter because <laughs> I've got two with me. Uh, uh, but um, hi, my name's Nicole, um, and I'm getting crap for not wearing a Dodgers hat uh, by one of our are onlookers, so thanks, Darren. Uh, but I work for Big D Construction, and I am the implementation and adoption manager for all of our construction tech. And uh, I got started, um, I guess I was kind of complaining in a job site trailer about some really archaic processes that were mandating a subcontractor to provide six hard copies of documentation for a project. Uh, we were on the Navajo Nation at the time, and it was darn near impossible to actually get that stuff uh, shipped out every day and, you know, us to stay on track um, just because of the approval process and making sure that the government oversight was there. Uh, and I was kind of blowing up my superintendent, and uh, an onlooker actually ended up being the COO of the company. And he offered me a job basically on the spot after I went on a rant. So uh, kind of landed face first into that one. But uh, since then, I've been working for GCs, uh, trying to make their processes more effective with the use of tech. So, so I think uh, we, we all had the pleasure of connecting yesterday. And through telling these stories, all realized we all got here from like totally random places and ha all had super different paths of how we got here. And so we really wanted to talk today about like how to become a construction technologist and things that we've learned along the way. 
um, because it isn't it isn't always a clear cut path and it isn't always uh, something that's super defined since we all kind of found our way here, you know, seemingly by accident, it seems. So um, I know one of those topics that we talked about yesterday was mentorship. Anybody want to chime in on that? I think, Nisa, you had some mentor stories. Yeah, um, so mentorship is a huge topic for me, um, just because I've had the pleasure of having a lot of really great people in my life, whether it was in architecture or school or construction or even at Autodesk. And they really guided me towards like the next path in my life and um, kept me from being pigeonholed really and exploring a lot of different things when you're on the younger side really kind of helps shape exactly where you want to go and kind of solidify that. So um, that's something that I found really useful. And I guess also I did want to point out that when you're in a male dominated industry, sometimes um, you're kind of shifted towards maybe finding those female mentors, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with finding male mentors too. There's a lot of allies out there and um, yeah. That's funny you mentioned that Nita, because I actually have a male mentor right now uh, in my company and he's probably one of the strongest advocates that I've had both for my role and for in general building up technologists and the technology and, and sort of you know open thinking to progress our, our industry and it's it's really been an eye-opener i always thought that a lot of the jobs that i worked at were were good jobs and i really enjoyed them and i really enjoyed um, the people that i worked for but moving under someone who really recognizes each person's individual potential and wants to put effort into making sure that that person not only succeeds within the company but also really feels a lot of strong fulfillment within their role um, has been really, really an eye-opener for me to, to really grow personally because I'm, I'm a very technical person and I've always focused on my technical skills and he actually really focuses on interpersonal skills and building the skills that you might be lacking. And so he's helped me with that considerably and that has made a huge difference both in my career and my, and my personal life. And you know, it's, I think it was something that also did strike me as a bit odd that my most vocal advocate as a woman who has struggled in construction has, has been a man. Um, but it's been great to have that mentorship and to have that support for somebody who recognizes how important technology is. Yeah, like yeah. some of yesterday, like mentorship and sponsorship and, and what the difference there is. And I want to capitalize on that as much as I've had really fantastic mentors. Um, I think that the sponsorship of the guys that I actually interact with, like boots on ground every single day that show up for me and say, uh, this girl knows what she's talking about, like you got to listen to her and really like validates um, the efforts that I'm putting towards have been the most amazing relationships that I've been able to foster. And they've just proven to be so equitable uh, um, throughout my career, whether I need a reference or somebody that is just going to stand there and actually listen to my speech and say, this is what you did wrong. You know, you need, you need to dumb it down. You know, like really be critical, but to the point of like making us all better and, and having that person, you know, sell my pitch to their guys has been so phenomenal to see that kind of embracement. I think that's yeah, a I great think... point. Go ahead, Dana. 
Okay. Um, so I, I was just going to say, uh, when it comes to mentorship, it's, it's not just about lifting you up. It's also about pointing out where you've gone sideways and, and being able to really have those forward candid conversations. It, it's, uh, it's a dynamic relationship when you, when you find a mentor that, that really is keenly focused on helping you succeed in your role as a construction technologist, uh, but also isn't afraid to give you that feedback where something didn't work or didn't quite go according to plan. You know, they provide that insight. You know, sometimes we kind of get our blinders on and we've, we've got a goal and we're trying to achieve it, but having somebody that can see the bigger picture and look in from the outside and really give you some candid advice, that's really invaluable. It's, uh, it's really, you know, key in, in that mentorship relationship. Yeah, I think for me, one of my biggest lessons learned is, um, is identifying those allies and those mentors, but like focusing energy there because there are other people, you know, today we're, we're all females, um, you know, we're not focusing on, on being women in construction today, but as part of being a woman in construction, there are parts of it that are hard and there are parts of it where like people might cut you down or people aren't always on your side. So really focusing your energy on your allies and focusing your energy on your mentor and like how you can learn and grow um, and not letting those other people kind of tear you down and not letting them kind of consume your energy. Um, Because if you put your energy towards the people who are fighting against you, it kind of like is defeating. It takes your energy out, it, you know, kind of gets you down. So, so not letting them be suck your energy out and like really focus on who your allies are um, has been a huge part of, of my success, I think. I think um, for me, so in lieu of a formal mentorship relationship, you know, I, I haven't been fortunate enough to foster a relationship like that in my career yet. Um, still, still young, still gonna get out there and make that happen. But um, absolutely what Nicole said, like you guys just, finding the people who believe in you and taking that feedback and just like internalizing it and making it so that like you can set your own goals. Um, that's been really valuable for me. I actually remember I, when I very, very first started in construction, I was a project coordinator on a, um, you know, hundred million dollar construction project. And one of the, the program managers um, pulled me aside and he's like, listen, you're a woman in this industry, you can go anywhere if you really want to. And like, he, he knew it, but I mean, this was 10 years ago and he knew it. He was like, as a woman, you can carve your own path. You can do whatever you want. And so I've definitely like taken that to heart and just kind of remembered that, you know, there aren't a lot of women in this space and it makes all of our perspectives that much more valuable. Yeah, One thing to keep in mind as well with uh, with a mentorship relationship is as, as a construction technologist, if you're in this space or you're looking at moving into this space, you're going to become a mentor for other project stakeholders as well. So while you're receiving that that feedback and that guidance and that counsel, you're passing that along at the same time and you're empowering more project stakeholders to engage with technology, use it effectively, improve their workflows. And you're also empowering the next generation of construction technologists that are going to move into this role as you're forging that path. So keep that in mind. Mentorship is, it's really circular, right? It's, it's between two people, but that information and that knowledge is going to then transfer and you're going to share that with many others as well. So while you're being empowered, you can also empower others. And what you just mentioned, go ahead, Kelly. Oh, go ahead. What you just mentioned, um, Tannis, was one of the other just 
big points that we were kind of talking about yesterday with kind of becoming a construction technologist and what that means, you have to be willing to forge your own path, right? Like this isn't a career that has existed for very long. This is a new space that we're all working in. And so like how we all got here is so different because there isn't a defined path on how to get right. here. <laughs> and that was just like kind of one of our commonalities that I think we kind of came to yesterday. Yeah. No, I think the mentorship ties in really well to the general, you know, construction technology uh, lifestyle, the, the, the path that we choose, because, you know, as a technologist in construction, there's always people that are going to be resistant to change and, and especially resistant to, you know, whatever the new shiny thing is, whether it's beneficial or not. And that becomes a good lesson for us because the more we can learn from a mentor, the more, you know, criticism that we can take, the more feedback that we can get and gather and learn how to adapt, the more we can also work with the teams that we're, you know, either, you know, getting them to understand why a new tool is beneficial for them or whether we're trying to get them to adapt to uh, or adopt a process, whatever it is, you know, really learning how to accept that feedback from a mentor helps us roll that over into accepting feedback and starting to understand those cues that come from other people maybe when it's not intentionally feedback is you know why are they so resistant why are they not interested in this technology you know and taking that and building that into a relationship with them to better understand and work with them I definitely think that um, I always ask, like, I have to understand the why, you know, especially with the end users, like, I think that you have to meet them where they're at, you have to be boots on ground, you have to show respect for what they have to deal with every single day. And again, it really is fostering the relationships that really help us, like, actually provide binder behind what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and I, I definitely think Tannis is, you know, I, I echo the sentiments that, um, you know, as much time as I s spend, uh, you know, really trying to have focus time and really get some stuff done, I am actively working with like some of the guys to really like foster their, um, you know, technology usage and you start pinpointing those people and rewarding them with more one-on-one -on -one time. Um, I found that they are the best advocates and they're bringing stuff to me now. Like this is the shiny thing. And I'm like, where did you even find this? Like, I feel like I'm tapped in and these guys are, are bringing me tools that I didn't know existed. So again, it is kind of circular. And I, I think that that's only gonna increase and broaden the strength of all of us as construction technologists in general. You're getting some shout outs on chat, Nicole. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> Probably some um, and I think that y'all are both just touching on this, but I did notice um, that Travis in the chat asked, how can we be good mentees? And I think, yeah, he, Kelly and Nicole both were just kind of chatting about that. Are there any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I think part of it also is like finding um, or like finding the right person to mentor you. And I think that's like constantly kind of looking around and seeing who the movers and shakers are, who like is actually looking to improve some of these processes and like who's open to it. And um, maybe also like not being afraid to kind of reach out to them and be like, can I have some of your one-on-one -on -one time? Like um, this would really help me out. I think you're, what you're doing is great and just being really confident about it. Yeah, I always feel like one of my biggest things is like 
kind of remembering that you can't change other people. You can only change yourself. And so being open to that feedback, I mean, like everybody's kind of blowing up the chat. Criticism is important and it is important. Um, and being open to feedback is important. Um, and so finding that person that you have a relationship with um, where you have that trust and where you can really have that open communication um, to understand how you as an individual can grow because nobody else here is changing in this scenario. If I'm here to work on something, then I'm working on it myself, and I can't expect the other people to, to change in the, in the meantime. So remembering that, you know, focusing on yourself instead of trying to change other people is, I think, important. I think as you're navigating through this space as well, you're going to be doing things that are innovative and cutting edge, and you're going to be pushing boundaries, and that's going to draw some accolades sometimes, and it's, just, it's going to draw some criticism at, at other times, and you, you really have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You need to push boundaries. You need to try new things. Sometimes they're going to work. Sometimes they aren't, and that's all just part of the process. Not every technology deployment is going to be a huge win. Some, sometimes they don't quite go as planned, and there's lessons learned there. You take them away, you move on, and you do something better the next time. And uh, just because something didn't work doesn't mean it was a total loss or it was a failure. There's, there's often lots of wins in those deployments that didn't quite go as, as you intended them to go. And, uh, you know, when you look at, at the construction technology space, it, it's very incremental, right? A lot of the things that we do, we, we take small steps and we build upon them. And, you know, two, three, five years later, we've done incredible things. Uh, but it took a lot of people trying new things, asking questions and, and falling down along the way to really get us to that point. So uh, be comfortable being uncomfortable, push boundaries. You know, sometimes it's going to work, sometimes it's not, and that's okay. Be, be uh, forward thinking and, and push those, those, uh, those boundaries as much as you can. I love that so much. Um, and just like the overall concept of being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Um, those of us with type A personalities, I know Rebecca knows where I'm coming from. Um, like, <laughs> we can still do that, right? Like even somebody who thrives with structure, who thrives with, you know, like knowing what's coming, um, we just know that uncertainty is coming. And then we're like, okay, I can prepare for this. I know that I'm in a situation where I'm not going to have all the answers and where I'm going to have to pivot and you can still prepare for that. So I know I've run into a lot of people who don't, um, feel like they have what it takes, right, to be in this space or to be in any kind of innovative space. Um, and I think that it's just a matter of mindset and it's just a matter of realizing that you do have to be okay with it, but you can prepare yourself mentally to be okay with it. Yeah, I think, I think also, oh, sorry, sorry I was just going to say, I think with that uncertainty also comes a lot of opportunity because that means that there isn't a set um, way of doing things. You can actually define it yourself and kind of do what's best and really start that off. Yeah, I think uncertainty actually gives us a chance to um, connect with people in a way that we don't typically realize. You know, we're, we tend to be seen as experts and it can be hard sometimes for people to approach us. And I think we forget that. And one of the easiest ways to connect with people in a, in a very, very simplistic way that can go along uh, a long way to making those connections with them is to admit that we don't know all the answers, you know, and that that's part of that being uncomfortable is, is yeah, we're, we're expected to be the experts. We're expected to know all the answers because 
we love this technology and we live in this world. So obviously we know everything, but the truth is, is we don't. We're, we do this because we like playing around with it because we like to figure out the answers, but there's nothing wrong when somebody asks a question to say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. Let me get back to you. And I remember when, when I went through learning that, that was such a hard thing for me when I was early on in my career to learn like, wait, it, it's okay to say, I don't know. Like, I don't understand. Like this feels wrong. And it can be very uncomfortable at first, but it's another really key place to get comfortable feeling that. Like, let people know it's, it's okay not to have all the answers. If I don't have all the answers, well, then you don't have to have all the answers either. And that's okay. Yeah, how many, can I just ask a question? How many times have you guys said, I don't know this week? <laughs> a few. I've said it at least 20 times today. I'll say at least, I don't know, I'll say, I'm gonna figure it at least out. three today in writing. <laughs> I think that just comes hand in hand, like working with agile technology. I mean, I'll jump in and I feel like I could, you know, do a training on submittal, you know, register creation inside a Procore in my sleep, but then I jump in and something's changed and I'm like, oh shit, like what are we going to do? But that's where you start messing around and fiddling and, and find a path. And I think that acknowledgement that, you know, it is agile and we all are trying to keep up with the, even the, the experts. Um, I think that that volatility actually wins at the end of the day, because you're showing what they, you know, the constraints that they see on a daily basis. Uh-oh. <laughs> Did someone say that I <laughs> F-bomb, I didn't, I promise. <laughs> it was your fault, Nicole. I'm just surprised I wasn't the first one, so thank you for that. <laughs> it was bound to happen, you guys. <laughs> well, switching gears a little bit, we had a question come in on the, not the chat line, the other question area from Nathan, wondering specifically to Krista and Nitha, what differences you have, sorry, what differences you've seen working on the AEC industry I'm sorry, I'm gonna learn to read like sometime. It's gonna be <laughs> soon. Um, what differences have you seen working on the AEC side of the industry versus technology? Is one better or worse than the other? I think right off the bat, like the speed is maybe different. Um, like during like construction, architecture, um, engineering projects, like the the projects are just so long um, and you might, you have time to like catch yourself if you make a mistake here or there, but then also like the stress is kind of a lot more because the impact of your decision is a lot greater. But on the technology side, it's kind of, um, it's a little bit quicker turnaround and um, the impact of your decisions maybe a little bit less. Yeah, I definitely agree with the speed thing. Um, I think the one thing, so being on the administrative side of construction, um, you know, it, I was on six year projects, right? Like they were, everything was long and slow and drawn out. And now my life is definitely not that. Um, but also for me, I've noticed just so many more opportunities and so many doors open to me on the tech side. Um, just because everything is evolving so rapidly. So like all of these new um, roles and opportunities are just coming out of the woodwork um, in the construction technology space, which is really cool to see. Um, and I know that's, you know, that, that holds true for probably everybody that is on this panel right now. Like 
opportunities are coming out of nowhere and um, we just have to keep our eyes open to see what our next step is going to be. Yeah, and I feel like that goes back to just exactly what we were just talking about, like kind of our random paths to get here and kind of goes right along with um, another question that just came in from Darren. Um, how many of you knew in high school that you would be in this industry as your future career? And like none of us, because it didn't exist. Like this wasn't a career when we were in high school. Um, so just having that super agile mind and um, I feel like a lot of it first is like identifying the passion. Like we all seem to really like efficiencies and processes and like getting the industry to be better at what we do. But that wasn't defined 10 years ago as a, as a thing, you know? So we're all just kind of making it up as we go a little bit, which is really interesting. But um, the second part of his question is, is how do we help high school kids today recognize this industry as an option for their future, which I think is interesting because we didn't necessarily have that. Yeah, I mean, oh my God, I'm going to date myself here. But when I was in high school, I learned how to draft by hand. And you <laughs> <laughs> line machine that like you it smelled like like vinegar or something. <laughs> and yeah, when and when I looked into going into to engineering and architecture in college, I you know found out every well everything's going to computers now, and I actually had a bit of wanting to reject the industry because of that because I really loved that hand drafting so much, and. So I had thought about engineering, but I actually had a bit of a crisis and didn't really decide what I wanted to go into and backed away and went into, went into other industries instead of going into higher education. And I came back around to it later on after I decided I wasn't on the correct career path at the time. And I think that's one of the things that's important about this discussion is that there still isn't a career path or an education for construction technology. The closest you can get is you can get an architecture degree or an engineering degree, or you can get a construction administration degree. I've seen a lot of people do that as well, uh, but it doesn't it doesn't address sort of all of the levels or or all of the different aspects of construction technology because we're a little bit IT and a little bit design and a little bit project management and a little bit of kind of everything, and there, there's not a path for that yet, and so. Trying to develop that is a little bit interesting. I think um, ladies can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most of us realized it as we were in our career, like we kind of knew we wanted to do something with buildings and construction, but it wasn't until we were already in it that we recognized that we had a passion for the technology and for, you know, the, the different things that create efficiencies and that facilitate the work for other people to do that. And, uh, Honestly, to, to, to be perfectly honest, I don't know if there's a way to help high school students recognize that now, but I think what we can do is recognize that they have uh, an interest in that area to at least start down the path towards that area in some respect and to try out different parts, you know, start with a trade school or start, you know, with a, you know, helping clean up on job sites or, you know, if you, if you know you want to get a stamp start in higher education with architecture engineering and start working in that direction and you'll figure it out as you go along. So I'll pose I, a question to the, to the ladies on the call. What, what did you want to do in high school? What, what was your planned career path? I wanted to be a lawyer. It was, I had a very different plan for where I was going to end up and looking back on it, I'm, I'm thrilled that I did what I did. I, I can't imagine 
having been a lawyer, sort of any lawyers out there, I mean, it's a great career, but not, not where I would see myself right now. So where, where did you guys see yourself in high school? What did you want to be? I wanted to be a film editor. Okay. I actually went to cinema school. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I've got my BFA and my MFA in technical direction. So I was building scenery um, and doing automation for theatrical performances. Um, and I actually did that for about four years after school, so. I never figured out what I wanted to be when I grow up and uh, I'm just not gonna grow up. I, I enjoy <laughs> doing this, but I still don't have a plan. I just keep going with the flow, it works out pretty well. Yeah, I don't know if I really remember in high school, but my undergraduate degree was graphic design and I wanted okay. to be in advertising. Nice. I wanted to be like an art director. Um, and so, yeah, the, the art side is what led me into architecture, I think, but I don't really remember, um, pre-college what I wanted to do. Nitha, what about you? So I actually wanted to be an architect since I was 10. Like I, I knew like hardcore that that's where I wanted to end up. Right on. Yeah. It didn't end up happening, but I feel like there's aspects of it everywhere. Like even in like. It's like technology architecture, solution architecture. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, I guess apparently there's one, uh, uh, there's actually a construction technology degree coming to USC, yeah. which I was I did gonna not say, realize. By you now. What'd you say? We just hired a couple that were from BYU Idaho and uh, BYU Provo that um, they're coming out with a, I think it's a bachelor's in BIM, maybe actually, but okay. it is emphasis like the kid know how to do instruction site better than I do so I uh, I was quick to learn a lot and I, I will say that like the a um, the ace mentor program I think has been a phenomenal insight as to like the kids that are coming up um, because you give them a plan and they've got you know 12 weeks to come up with a solution and you know we're there to kind of like oversee that people have a voice um but man some of the product that is coming out of some of these projects at the end of the the semester is um on par with what i would see from undergrad architects i i, I promise you like the the ideas that are coming out from planning and, you know, utilizing spaces and, you know, going on job sites and having that immersion um, to see how they uh, translate that in their plans has been really phenomenal. And I would definitely encourage anybody in the industry, whether you're in architecture, engineering, or construction tech to actually see if you can um, even spend a night with them in that session because it's pretty phenomenal to see what they're doing. Awesome. Is anybody else doing ACE Mentor at all? Summer. Okay. No, but one other <laughs> thing. No, but now we will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one other um, thing that goes back to kind of like giving, you know, high schoolers advice is, um, is learning different styles of communication. I feel like one of my biggest differences being in technology rather than being out in the field is just like who I deal with on a daily basis. And it isn't limited to a site team anymore. It's like C-levels down to interns and literally everyone in between. And so understanding like how to communicate with people who aren't tech savvy, people who are brand new in this industry, 
people who are the decision makers for enterprise level um, initiatives, people who are spending the money, you know, all of those are very different conversations. And so I feel like that's one of my biggest differences from being out in the field and, and advice I would give to someone new in this industry is like, learn to communicate with different types of people. Um, Cause it's just like, you know, every day is just totally different with, with what types of things are coming up in conversation. So. I think that's a really good point. Sales training as well. I mean, a lot of people think that, that sales training is just for people that are in sales, but in the grand scheme of things in this space, we're selling ideas all the time. We're selling new concepts, new technologies. We're trying to win hearts and minds in the industry and get people to buy into new concepts, new ways of working and champion them. And that that's a process. It takes time and it takes a, a unique skill set to kind of get people past that point of, you know, this is new. I'm not really comfortable with it to this is the best thing ever. I can't work without it. And, you know, getting um, uh, informal or formal training in the sales process is, uh, is really valuable in helping connect with people. And, and to Rebecca's point, you know, communicate effectively and really get people on board with, with new ideas. Um, one, one thing I wanted to mention, when it, when it comes to high school students and really getting people passionate about careers in construction, uh, just from a personal experience, I was actually advised against going into construction. Um, you know, being, being a woman in the space, the advice I got was male-dominated industry, go find something else to do. Um, and that's, uh, you know, I, I come from a construction family and that, that's really the only reason I got into the space and, and really enjoyed it. Uh, but it's, it's part of what drove my, my concept around, you know, hey, maybe I should become a lawyer because I, I was told to avoid construction. I'm not sure that a lot of career counselors really have a, a depth of knowledge in the different career uh, opportunities in this space. So I think there's probably an opportunity uh, to, to work more closely with high schools and, and career counselors and providing some information around, you know, construction's a big world and there's lots of career opportunities. You can go into the trades and pursue a career there. You can become an architect. You can become an engineer. You can go into construction technology and here's what that looks like. I, I think if, uh, you know, we as, as advocates in the industry and we as champions of construction technology can reach out and work more closely with educational programs and, uh, and career counselors, we can probably affect change in the space and get more people excited about careers in construction and construction tech. Yeah, yeah I maybe think... one day this will be a defined path. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hope so. <laughs> I think that, um, I mean, obviously, like, we've all been to the conferences where, you know, they bring up the McKinsey digitization index and, like, the whole thing, you know. Um, construction doesn't have a good reputation in a lot of spaces. Um, and I think it's our job you know, to advocate for this, <laughs> Travis, it's our job to advocate for this industry as people who are really passionate about it. So um, I have, I know that like I share stuff on my personal social media page. That's like, look, it's not what you think. It's not, you know, just, it's not all dirt. Some of it is a lot of dirt and a lot of, you know, like heavy lifting and manual labor, but that's not all that this industry is. It's really, really complex and highly technical and so cool to just watch something come to life right before your eyes. So um, I think that we just need to spend. Yes. <laughs> I love, I love when things start rolling around social media and it's like, you know, you can enter the trades and make, you know, six figures mm -hmm. and you I, don't need a higher education degree to do that. Like, like I post like stuff all the time, like six figures, like company car, like, 
I, I got it made. I get to interact with a whole slew of people every single day. I mean, I love what I do, but there is serious money behind it. Um, and that needs to be highlighted because it's not sexy some days. I mean, let's just be real. Like, construction isn't sexy, but, um, you know, we need to highlight some of that stuff because you can get, you know, you're, I'm making really damn good money. And um, I, I hope you guys are as well, honestly. Well, and I think that that brings up a good point, though, is, you know, you know, when you talk about all the different things that are that are involved in construction and construction technology and how people are uneducated. I mean, I think everybody gets into it for a different reason. And that's sort of goes to, you know, why would we talk? Why would we want to talk somebody into doing this? Why would you know, why? Why do they need to be educated about this? I mean, I would liken my position closer to uh, a teacher than to anything else. I spend more time helping people be successful in their role than doing anything else. And when, when people ask me what my job is, I tell them my job is to make other people successful at their job. I don't, I mean, because I, I, I can explain a BIM manager, but that's not going to make any sense to them. I can tell them I do VDC or construction technology, but I say, you know, my job is to make other jobs people, other people's jobs easier. Because that's really, that's really what I do, whether it's finding a new piece of software to use or implementing a new process or providing training to people. My job is to make their job easier. I don't make money for the company. I don't install conduit. I don't come up with new, better ways of, you know, distributing power between equipment. I make the job easier for everybody else that does that. And to me, that is the closest position that I've come to across that, the closest career I've come to that is a teacher. And so that's something like, if you want to be an educator, but you don't like the idea of a classroom, why not be a corporate trainer? Why not teach people how to use construction technology or, or to work with different field tools or things like that? That's, that to me is, is also where that benefit lies. There's so many opportunities in the construction space career-wise. I mean, I, I talk to um, colleagues in, in the space all the time and they're struggling to fill roles and, and you know, construction trades, high paying jobs. And in some cases, you know, companies are paying for the training for people to come in and just get their start in the construction trades. And there's, there's so much opportunity in the space and I'm, I'm not sure that a lot of people know that. And you know, getting, uh, getting connected with, with youth in, in junior high and, and high school and really getting you know, these opportunities in front of people and, and advocating for careers in construction, I, I think is important. We've got a, a lot of work going on in Canada. Uh, if you haven't picked up on the accent yet, I'm, I'm Canadian. I try not to say A every four words so it doesn't always give it away. Um, we've got a lot of work going on in Canada to really promote uh, career opportunities in the trades. And, and our prime minister actually has, a, has set up a panel of, of advisors to um, you know, really put some momentum around um, you know, getting, getting youth excited about careers in construction. There's actually a set aside in, in the budget for a national campaign to promote uh, trades to youth in our country, which is fantastic. I mean, there's, there's lots of opportunity out there. And for those, if, if anybody's listening out there and you're, you're trying to figure out which direction to go in your career, uh, construction trades, engineering, architecture, there's so much opportunity in this space for you to, you know, come in, affect change, bring innovative new ideas and really do something exciting with people that are passionate about building things. Literally building the future. Absolutely. Slogan right there for your high school campaign. <laughs> <laughs>
Somebody was talking about uh, putting t-shirts together with some of our slogans. I think we need to capture that. <laughs> Don't worry, they're being printed as you speak. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Make sure you put literally in italics. <laughs> oh, literally. Lisa, I'm curious too, from Autodesk being such a big company, is, do y'all have like internship programs? Do y'all reach out to high schoolers at all? Do y'all have any way to engage kind of younger community? Um, I think there's a, I think it's like a regional specific thing. So we will have like specific events. Um, but it's, it's funny that we're talking about high school and I didn't want to say this because I don't think it's common, but we did have a trade program in my high school where they were targeting um, people um, and saying like, uh, you know, you don't need to go to college. You, you, you just do like um, this like trade specific ind industry thing and kind of get a high paying job right away. And it worked out for a lot of people and graduation rate was like through the roof. So I think that's also something to kind of look at. Um, so that's kind of what Tance was saying in Canada. I think um, maybe a couple high schools in California are also kind of looking at that right now. Is it Colorado has an initiative that they'll pay you to go to like uh, kind of catch all trades. So like you're learning concrete, you're learning how to weld, like it's like dabbling. Um, and I know Utah is basically stealing that idea and that's all through the AGC, but I think tapping into that young blood is, is definitely beneficial. One of the uh, main instructors at the Utah one um, is like 23 and just bought his first home. And I'm like, I would have loved that to have that opportunity, but he has that much money in the bank because he's a licensed uh, um, electrician at this point. And I was just like, that's crazy. At 23, I had, you know, $68,000 in college debt and I was living at my parents' house to pay it off basically. So uh, the path is, is definitely one that can be altered um, to really reap the benefits of it. Um, one more chat came in kind of along the lines we of what we're talking about from Lillian about whether there's concern about this specific industry or these specific career paths with something like COVID. And in some ways I'm like, we're value add to the company, like we're overhead, you know, we're not project based. So even if the projects, you know, go down, we still have a place, but you know, I do think that there can be concern about it. So yeah, curious what you guys think. Um, I definitely think there's a benefit in it because us working in construction technology, it kind of helps people go remote a little bit more easily. Um, so there's lots of a uh, less like human interaction on the job site. So, yeah, I know I've definitely been noticing. I mean, a lot of a lot of our clients are going. Um, you know, they have to social distance in the field, and so they can't have as many people like clustered together in certain workspaces. So they're using a lot of. Um, you know, IOT devices and they, you know, they're doing like facial recognition and thermal temperature scanners when you enter it. So it's just a lot of these tech things that we've been trying to kind of pick up speed and now COVID has made them kind of a necessity. Um, so I think that's been, you know, kind of a silver lining for those of us in construction technology. Um, the other thing I was actually thinking as we were talking about education and um, those paths, like, what is, what is the future of education look like after, like, in a post-coronavirus world, um, as we see, you know, traditional classroom settings changing and disappearing altogether, like, may maybe more people will be likely to go a trade route because formal education is kind of 
disintegrating before our eyes. <laughs> I think that's a fantastic thing. I mean, honestly, I, I don't have anything against education, but I think too many, you know, for too long, our, at least in the U.S., we've put an emphasis on college education, and that's why we have this shortage of our trades, right? Where there's a lot of really good jobs out there that are, are born out of trades. It may, it like, you know, like us, we may not stay an electrician or an architect or, you know, a pipe fitter, but all of the people that work in those positions around that also typically come from some experience in that too. And so, you know, getting into those fields, just like getting into being an architect or an engineer helps you learn about, oh, I want to become a safety person. I want to become QAQC. I want to get into construction technology. And I think COVID has created a really large opportunity for us because it's opened up the necessity for everything from remote working all the way to internet of things on the job site. And all that's going to do is just continually expand the necessity for more construction technology, whether it's the operators of the technology, whether it's the administrators of the technology or the people who are, who are testing and implementing it. So I think it's really, what it's really done is created an, an explosion of construction technology opportunities for us. And we're just gonna see that continue as we go because as it feeds into that and creates more opportunities, it's going to facilitate continuing to build upon that and, and furthering the, the tools that are available and the more discoveries they're gonna make that, that just keep building on that and, and opening up that, that technology world. Yeah, I mean, everything here has become mission critical. Like, oh, we were trying to roll this out very slowly. So we, you know, had our SOPs defined and everything kind of went out the window and it was like, deploy it, you know? And uh, the irony is I haven't had a whole lot of pushback. You know, we've had um, far more um, acceptance of some of the adoption that I ever thought we'd see simply because we've had to mandate it. Um, and maybe this is a good thing. I, I actually, I know it's a good thing for the industry. Let's hope the markets rebound though. Yes. <laughs> Get into I mean, that in the past, you, you used to have to sell people on, on the why, right? And like, what's in it for me? And now what's in it for everybody is, is pretty obvious, right? Most of us are working remotely now and, you know, life has changed, project life has changed. And when you can't have people on site and social dis distancing is required, you have a lot more people working from home, the connectedness of the team is all of a sudden paramount. So the, to your point, Nicole, the deployments that, that were kind of being slow rolled and like, you know, let's, let's get the SOPs defined, let's do lots of training, let's kind of gradually get people into the use of this new tech. It's like, all right, just push it out. We, we need it because we can't function without it. So the why is, is, you know, it's right in front of you. It's, uh, it's pretty difficult to dispute why some of these tools are needed. And now you're playing catch up with, uh, with all the other things that are required to make sure that the uh, sustainment of that technology is, is smooth. So um, that, uh, it's, it certainly makes getting people on board and, and uh, turning, um, turning people into campaigners for new technology a little bit easier when, when they just need it to do their job. Yeah, and I feel like things like progress documentation and stuff are becoming closer to the norm where it's like people who can't travel, people who can't readily get on a plane can still kind of see the progress of the site and, mm -hmm. you know, not have to have so much in-person oversight. And then the more we're relying on it now, the more that will just become 
commonplace in the future. It doesn't have to have that battle of like, do we want to spend this money or not? It's just kind of part of how we do business. So it'll be interesting to see. I'd be curious to see in technology surveys, I'm, I'm sure we'll see it in the next 12 to 16 months, but how COVID has impacted um, technology budgeting in construction. Mm -hmm. uh, are, are teams kind of redefining what construction technology looks like as a result of this? Yeah, yeah. is the, um, the JB Knowledge Survey is live right now, right? They're collecting responses right now. So I think that'll be really interesting when that data comes back in. Yeah, it'd be great to see the insights there. So I'm going to take a moment to jump back in. Hi, everybody. This has been an awesome episode, and I, I want to thank all of you for joining. And we're not quite over yet because I got one final question for each of you because you, you hit on a topic that I think, you know, Lillian, that was a great question about what has COVID impacted and, you know, what have you seen go away was, you know, one thing and, and be added. But what do you think is going to stay and what do you want back? Um, you know, I think when all of that is taken from us, because, you know, the construction dorks at its core was based on all of us being together in uh, the back of these events or the hallways or the bars or whatever it was to, to have a conversation. So I miss that, I know. So Neetha, I want to start with you. Like, what do you think is going to stay and what do you want back? And uh, any final words for everyone listening? Because you guys rock. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think what, what's going to stay is this need for collaboration and like having a platform co for collaboration. And um, because that's something where, you know, like the different parties might not exactly trust each other, but now they're seeing that sharing information freely and like getting more transparency and all these things um, is actually beneficial. And because it allows them to work remotely and like not have to travel and not to expose themselves to COVID. And um, I think something that I would like to uh, still see is maybe um, the human interaction a little bit more and not like maybe hiding behind emails. I think we'd all like that. Kelly? Yeah, right now. Yeah, everybody would like that right now a little bit. Um, Kelly? Um, I think definitely the big thing I'd like to see stay is the, the remote workforce. Um, as, as construction is a what I would call a traditional industry, um, we have a lot of clients that are very much about um, what we call in our office button seat, <laughs> um, boots on ground, take your pick. Um, but they want to see they want to see somebody in the office as a way of recognizing that their money is well spent. And I think that what COVID has shown is that you're still getting very good value, and you're still getting you're getting your deadlines met, you're getting your deliverables no matter how we're delivering that product, whether we're all sitting at home getting it done or we're sitting in an office getting it done, we are getting it done. And our focus is on getting it done for the client. And I wanna see that stay because I think that's gonna do nothing but open up the industry to really help people get the best talent for the best type of work and you know the right people in the right positions because people don't have to relocate across the country or move somewhere maybe they're not interested in living to be able to take on a position that they're really well suited for. Uh, the one thing I want to see come back, I, I think like you guys talked about, I'm sure Travis is all about this, uh, is, is the conferences. Because I, I love doing these things. I love, you know, sitting on, on Zoom or Teams or whatever and talking with people. But like you said, I mean, these, the really cool stuff is born out of talking over drinks after spending a day listening to a bunch of people talk about some really cool stuff. So I, I, I want to see those come back. <laughs> 
I think I, I agree with all of that. And the butts and seats thing has been a frustration of mine from before this industry. And I think if we base it on what, what our butts get done, not where our butts are, is yes. really, you know, going to make a difference. It's that KPIs around getting, getting work done. Krista? Um, so I'm going to go a slightly different direction because one thing that I've been seeing for the last couple of months that really excites me is um, a rapid snowballing adoption of um, AR in, in the field, um, especially for use um, in like virtual inspections and um, like for managing RFIs and stuff like that from the field. Um, so I really hope that that just continues to grow and grow. Um, and the thing that I am looking forward to getting back, I mean, obviously I wanna you know, be in the same room as you nerds again soon. Um, but also I think just the ability, like right now, my team can't actually travel to job sites without having to, you know, for, for, de for tech deployments, they can't do that without having to quarantine for two weeks before, during, and after. So, I mean, our, our speeds will pick up a lot once we have a little bit more freedom to move around the country. <laughs> I, I like that. We are seeing new tools um, that are finding their way in new spaces. So cool to see that. Nicole? Yeah, um, I definitely kind of new tools um, aspect. We're doing uh, AI automation of all of our inspections and reporting. And uh, I can't uh, tell you how excited I am about the fact that I can set up an automation once and it sends it out to all my guys every single day and it bugs them until I get it back. Um, it makes my life a lot easier and all of my superintendent's lives a lot easier. Um, and it was really slow to adopt beforehand. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, my FaceTime with my guys in the field is really valuable. And uh, I've been kind of locked down from doing that. Um, so I'm super excited to be able to really get back into the field and, and interact with some trade partners and some architects because I, I feel like that's where our teams really need us um, the most, or at least from my perspective. That's awesome. Not, not quantity of interaction, but quality and with whom, you know, Very much. Yeah. moves those teams forward. We need it. You know, that quality of what we get in the background of the conferences, but the quality on the job sites too. There's, it's a relationship business, but let's, let's limit that relationship and make it more powerful when we interact. So I love it. Um, Tannis. So what I think is going to stay is, um, trust. And, and I mean that in, in two ways. Number one, trust in the team to work from home and work remotely and deal with all of the, the life things you have going on around you. Uh, we've, we've proven very quickly that that works. And I, I come from previous uh, positions where I've been able to work remotely, thankfully. And uh, I always thought the butts and seats concept was, was uh, a little bit antiquated, right? Somebody does not have to be physically present in an office to create value. You can create value um, from your home, uh, from a beach, uh, you know, transiting through airports, wherever you happen to be, um, collaboration can happen anywhere with the right tools. And then that leads me to my next point, trust in the tools. And, you know, we've, 
in, in the construction technology space, technology in general, there, there is sometimes a bit of hesitation to leap into new things. And we're seeing new technology, we're seeing startup tech being deployed out of necessity. And, and we're really seeing a lot of iteration and excitement around that and trust in the team that is working towards making those tools function and create value for the project. And so I, I think trust is what I think we're going to really benefit from this whole process. And I'm, I'm hoping, I'm an optimist that that's, that's going to, um, that's gonna be our life beyond COVID. Uh, what would I like back? Much like everybody else, uh, human interaction. The, the video conferencing is fantastic, but you only get so far, right? And then morning meetings, a lot of people won't even turn their cameras on because they still have dis disheveled hair and they're in their pajamas and you don't even get the video interaction. You're just talking to people on the phone. Uh, so we've been doing things like escape rooms, like team building escape rooms, just to get people connected outside of that workspace, get people's cameras on, have a few laughs. But yeah, it's going to be great to get back on the conference circuit with you guys and connect and share a whiskey or a beer and catch up. That's, uh, that's definitely what I miss the most. Uh, well, I think you just blew the industry apart with that trust thing because it's been a barrier for just about everything. I mean, when you get down, you're like trust and transparency are like the two things that come up and you just hit them. And I would love to see that because it really is uh, the trust in the people and the trust in the tools. If, you, if you're not going to trust them, why would you hire them? And, and the tools themselves, you know, trust, but verify, but the verification's happening because it has to, you know, to Krista, your point on, on uh, site verifications and, uh, you know, inspections, it, it proves in the pudding, you can see it. So that's awesome. And I purposefully did this because Rebecca, you kind of stepped in as the, uh, as the leader of the show today, as the I MC. No, no, Sorry. this is a natural progression. So <laughs> I really want to say that it was awesome to watch. Um, we don't get to do this from the sidelines. That's why I wanted to do that. So um, what, what was the last, you know, for you, what, what's the biggest uh, positive that you want to see and, and what do you want back? And, and then I'll let you take this off and, and send oh this, this podcast to the end. Got to close out. <laughs> um, so not too far off what, what Tanis was saying. I hope that the open-mindedness remains. Um, I feel like there's a lot of open-mindedness to new technology right now because we're kind of forced to. And so um, that's one part of it. And then the open-mindedness to like continuing a remote workforce. Um, I was actually hired as a full-time remote employee for Balfour Beatty, and there was a lot of hesitation about that, and there was a lot of concern about it, but going back to Kelly's point at the very um, beginning of this kind of little roundtable that we're doing right now, it's getting the right person in the right role, and being open-minded to, like, allow that person to come in the right place instead of only allowing them to sit in an office, um, and so open-mindedness both with technology, you know, moving forward, how can we adopt new things? How can we adopt new practices? And then also, um, you know, how, how can we all work the best in the future together? Does it have to be in an office or what are new ways that we can collaborate together um, to make the industry better? So open-mindedness as a whole. And then I think like most other people, um, I would like travel to come back with a heavy emphasis on conferences, because that's how I know all you dorks, and that's why I'm in this seat right here is because of conferences. Um, and so for that, I'm extremely grateful. But I have been at Balfour for four weeks, and I've never met anyone in person that I work with. And so that's like a whole other thing with like onboarding during this time is just different. 
And so I'm hoping um, to be able to travel soon and get to meet some of the some of the people in person that I <laughs> that I work with. Um, and with that, that's the that's the Dorkettes podcast. Well, thank you, Rebecca, and thanks for sending it off. I mean, for me, what I think COVID's showing us all is the boundaries and the constructs of our culture and the way things work are disintegrating, and I think they're doing it in a positive. I think having all of you on today for your perspectives just shows that you know, we can strip that all away and change this industry from the ground up. Each one of you is pioneering in your own place for that. And so we thank all of you for joining us and you all have an open invitation to come back. You're all dorkettes. And for that, we're very appreciative because it is us who's winning by having you guys here. So, and to everybody who joined us for the day, we really appreciate you. This has been episode nine of the Construction Dorks podcast, the Dorkettes. And I want to say it's been the best one yet. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Thanks for having us.